Well, he he's not welcome on our podcast. No? Oh, nerds. Sorry, sorry, Bethy. I know you've been <laughs> trying to get that guy on. I can change yeah. him. You are listening to Watching Movies at the Bar, a podcast about bar movies and movie bars. Tonight, we're so excited to be joined by Patrick Bryce, of whom I am a huge fan. Uh, Patrick is the writer and director behind the Creep movies, The Overnight, and a big chunk of HBO's Room 104, among other things. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. This is a sweet treat. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Sweet, sweet treat makes it sound... Makes it sound real good. Yeah. Like both a sweet and a treat. Yeah. I, I, speaking of treats, I, I, I bought a beer. I bought beers especially for this, just so you guys know. Oh, wow. Yeah. We got to know what you bought. What are you well, drinking? I man? figured because this was drinking or watching movies at the bar, uh, that if I was going to drink a beer, it had to be like a special beer because I have like normal beers, but I went and got like a lager style beer. And, I, and I'm realizing, and I was kicking myself. Once I watched the movie that we're talking about, because I should have gotten like just the most fucking Irish beer you could possibly <laughs> just Patty McGilligan's, you know, ale or something. But I got a, I got a Mexican lager, Paramigente from Indie Brewing Company. So we'll we'll give it a shot. But I like I, I'm like I like light light beers. I don't like IPAs or anything like that. So we'll see how it is yeah i'm the same i'm actually drinking the uh, j sloan's pilsner so. <laughs> <laughs> bethy yeah, bethy what are you drinking tonight um mostly water uh i uh am bragging today. i got my second shot i feel like i took an edible i've been lying down and listening to the cartoon scooby-doo for the past four hours in preparation <laughs> that scooby for this. scooby-doo where are you yeah og the best. The Just best listening one. to the Hanna Barbera sound effects library being used to its fullest and having a blast. No context for what like the bonk or the butta 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 or the whoop mean this time, <laughs> but I know that something great is happening out there. Is that, like is that calming for you? Is that like a way to just disassociate right now while you're <laughs> feeling I the think- vax? I used to, uh, there were definitely like days when I was a kid where I would wake up early to watch Scooby-Doo and fall asleep watching Scooby-Doo in the morning. So I was like, let's just do that again. Let's try that out. But I'm also drinking some gin. So it's a little bit of column A. A little bit of gin. Yeah. Well, it's medicine. It's just medicine, That's what I said. (laughs) Colin said the tonic is the medicine. And I said they're both medicines. Gin was a word for a medicinal liqueur. Suck my dick. <laughs> when I uh, when I got my second shot and I was starting to feel feverish, for some reason I put on Miracle Mile for the first time. The <laughs> Anthony Edwards movie from the nineties. Yeah. Have you seen it? I yeah, <laughs> not my choice. I adore I adore that movie. I, I I love that movie too, and it's crazy that guy did not direct anything else after that. Is my understanding? It was one and done. Hmm. No, I I don't. Yeah, and no, I think that was it. He might have done like he might have done like a failed TV pilot or something after that. But it's crazy that it's it's such a di- like that movie has such a distinct directorial vision and is so its own thing. Oh, yeah. 
and I just love that it goes for it and like like the apocalypse happens and basically everyone dies at the end and it's fine, you know? Um, and that's not even a spoiler. That just is what the movie is. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's on the posters. Like everybody dies in this. Yeah. And Anthony Edwards is so good, right? Yeah. He's, he's amazing. And also just kind of like the tonal arc of that movie is so cool to me. It starts out really, really breezy. And by the end, it's, it's about as horrific uh, as you can imagine a movie feeling. And it does that all in like 89 minutes or something. Yeah. And again, not what I would watch when I was feverish. I mean, we know what I would watch. It's Scooby-Doo. But that, that shows you the the different vibes of the host of this show and what the, the freeze-on, the tension between those two is what keeps this podcast interesting. Everyone, <laughs> everyone has their own balm, you know? And it's funny because I actually, it, it made me think of one, one of my, one of the best viewing experiences of a film I've ever had. I mean, and this everybody's fine. So like, I'm, it's it, this is dark, but it's not like it's, don't worry, everyone's good. But my son got what really, a my, preface. <laughs> my son got really sick when he was a baby, and I had to stay in Children's Hospital for four days, like stay there, not leave, mm-hmm. you know, and because he had an, uh, an infection, and we were just like so toasted, like you're just like in an alternate reality, you know? And like, I was like, oh, I just want to like watch something right now. I, my wife was asleep. My son was asleep and I watched no country for old men in its entirety <laughs> on a laptop <laughs> on the floor in children's hospital. And it was like, it was like pure escapism. It was, it was like, it was just, I never like enjoyed the humor of that movie more than being in that state watching it then. Like I just, I, I absolutely adored it. It was so great. <laughs> sometimes you want, when you're, when you're having problems, sometimes you want to watch something with no problems. And sometimes you just want a different hypothetical set of problems to consider. Yep. Totally. I mean, I found myself, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of people were gravitating towards really escapist stuff. And I found myself watching things that were very sort of dark and and existential. And that that was what I needed. I needed something that was just either clicks different or clicks worse than than the, the uncertainty that I was feeling. Sitting on the floor of a hospital watching No Country for Old Men on a Laptop is such a peculiar sort of marriage of, 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 of film and environment. And it's a good segue to what we talk about a lot, which is what, what are your experiences watching movies in bars and, and, and what do you look for in that experience? If you ever have. I, you know, it's funny because I, I, I guess what, I, I mean, first of all, I've got a two and a four year old in my house. So I stopped going to bars a while ago, even pre pandemic. Also, I'm going to burp a lot uh, because I'm drinking beer. I hope that's fine uh, <laughs> for everyone listening at home. Um, but, uh, you know, my only real experience watching movies at bars was I think when I was when I was living in San Francisco in my 20s and they would there was there was one. Uh, there was one bar restaurant. I forget what it was called. It was called, it was called something like subtitles or foreign movies or something like that. And they would play like movies every night. And like, the thing is like, it's, I mean, people aren't really paying attention, right. Or, or paying attention. If they are paying attention, it's like 25% of their attention, you know, uh, when it comes to watching a film. So I, I don't know. I mean, that's my only real experience is like, having shit projected at a bar while people are screaming 
dumb shit at each other. You know, that's like my main <laughs> experience actually watching anything at a bar. Do you guys actually watch movies at bars? Would you go to bars to watch movies or just, I mean, I guess watching just what, what ends up being on sometimes is the thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely don't ever go to a bar with the express purpose of watching a mm-hmm. movie, but a lot of, a lot of what we talk about is sort of, the the experience of partially watching a movie but partially watching you know someone have a fight and the way that the tv is weirdly situated in the corner of a lively room and how that sort of larger tapestry becomes the viewing experience it's not you know really about engaging closely with the movie itself but just about that weird collage of different ideas but bethy i think is a more intentional bar movie goer oh yeah i definitely intentionally went to specific bars to watch movies uh my friend jay tanner um was a bartender at this place called the bishop and and when he worked mondays because it was like a kind of dead night he would put on a movie like not even with music it would just be on at the bar so i would go he would like put on like instagram or twitter what it was gonna be and so if i was vibing with it i would go watch that movie was that on sundays it was on sundays because kieran made fancy cocktails on mondays anyway i miss my bartender would people like actually would like many people show up to watch the movie was that like a uh it was a place that a lot of regulars so i'm not sure whether they were going um for the bar for the bartender or for the movie but there was sort of a lot of like we were all there for kind of all three to like hang out with the thing about um where I'm from Bloomington, Indiana is there. It's a small town with a very active like bar scene, nightlife scene, and people don't necessarily make plans to hang out <laughs> all the time. Rather, there's like, at least for like the alt kids that I hung out with, there were like three or four gathering spots. Like there's like two coffee shops and a bar three bars uh and if you wanted to hang out you would go to the bar where everybody else you knew was gonna be and those were who you're gonna hang out with and if you didn't want to see people you stayed home so there was a lot of like yeah i'll go see who's who's around go hang out and talk oh oh there's a movie on cool the end they got they got duped (laughs) they got duped (laughs) into watching a movie yeah Uh, they weren't even planning on it but i i find i find that sometimes there, I'll see a moment of a movie at a bar and it will make me want to watch a thing that I would never otherwise watch. Mm-hmm. Like I was at Ye Rustic Inn and for some reason they were playing the Alexander Skarsgård Tarzan movie <laughs> on HBO, a movie that no one has seen, the David Yates Tarzan movie. Sorry, Patrick, if you're a huge fan, I will I'll take this back. No, I, I, the only way I knew that existed was it was like on a billboard when I first moved to Los Angeles. I, I remember seeing it on a billboard and being like, yeah, exactly. Who is who is this for? I think you know? I saw part of it at Bounty one time. Yeah, that sounds right. It's, yeah. it's become a, a barroom favorite. But I, I watched like maybe two minutes of this movie and I was like, oh, this seems kind of cool and then i tried watching it at home and there was just nothing for me there and so i i do think there are times when a bar can really unlock something for you that you might not enjoy otherwise but that's not really what we're talking about tonight (laughs) we're 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 talking about a movie that i'm i'm very excited to be talking about which is overnight uh not to be confused with the overnight which is a movie patrick directed um and I, I'm assuming you chose this so that it would be very confusing, right? 100%. Actually, I was thinking about that today. <laughs> um, Did it not occur to you when you first just, pitched it? Just today. <laughs> no, I, I swear to God. I mean, that 
I mean, the, the thing is, overnight, I feel like I, I not a lot of people know about it. I say even even in the realm of like you know documentary and then documentaries about the making of films it's not like it's not one of the first movies that people think about you know like it's like you know there's like burden of dreams and you know hearts of darkness <laughs> and like all these other movies like overnight's usually like number 178 of like movies about <laughs> making movies that people think about although for me it's in my top 10 easily when oh, it comes yeah. to movies about making movies just cuz i enjoy it so much on, on so many different levels, but, uh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it it was literally, you know, when you guys told me what the premise of the, the podcast was, it was the, it was, it was, I mean, our first thought about trees lounge, which I'd still love to watch and talk about with you guys at some point, but, uh, it was the, it was the next movie I thought about. And it was because of the anecdote in the movie of the, uh, the filmmaker, Troy Duffy, when he made his <laughs> fateful handshake uh, deal with Harvey Weinstein, he was a bartender at Jay Sloan's in West Hollywood. And uh, when I guess sight unseen, Harvey Weinstein, or did he read this? I don't know if he read the script to the boondocks. He must've read it right before that part's unclear. There's, there's a lot that's unclear, by the way, in this movie. Watching it was different. a competitive situation. I know New Line and Paramount made offers first, and so I think they might have backed Harvey into a corner, and so he then wanted the property. I don't have any idea if he read it. Right, but when he when he made this deal, not only did he agree to buy Troy Duffy's script and uh, <laughs> you know supposedly make his movie for, with him, but he also uh, agreed to buy the bar that he was working at. <laughs> For him. Which is incredible. And also baked in a record deal with his band, which never came to fruition because they never actually inked the contract. But no, it's 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 fucking insane. I mean, this whole movie and kind of the Troy Duffy mythology orbits around um, Jay Sloan's uh, Bethy is uh, a, a famous walker and walked by Jay Sloan's the other day. Do you want to tell us a bit about it, Bethy, and why we can't record there live? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next year. Um, I went there, yeah, was that yesterday that I went? Yeah, I It doesn't matter so. to the people listening. Um, <laughs> but I went. Uh, I went there, it's like three or four blocks away from like Sir and Pump and all of Lisa Vanderpump's restaurants. It's like in the heart of WeHo. You can now you can see the Pacific Design Center. Like if you look right at the building, um, it the Pacific Design Center like looms over it. There's just this like giant blue thing in the background. But um Jay Sloan's itself was closed in two thousand two uh was never sold to Troy Duffy. It was owned by um Neil Simon's wife and she closed Jay Sloan's to turn it into like a boutique, a clothing store. And I guess that didn't work out well cuz now it's a nightclub called Rasputin. Spelled... <laughs> and it is spelled like poutine. No. Like the food? Like the food. I I thought and it, it does was not going serve to be... the food. <laughs> No, I thought it was going to be like an occult-influenced uh, gastro pub that <laughs> prominently features poutine, but it, it super doesn't. No, it's like a unsa unsa nightclub type place. It calls itself like a bar club, and it has a very. I took some pictures, and they'll be up on the Instagram. Uh, it has a very prominent, like dress code strictly enforced plaque, 
and uh, no loitering plaque. So they're like, whoever owns it now obviously sucks because they have all the like racist anti-homeless bullshit up <laughs> on their wall. And they also blocked off all the windows. So they could there could be people partying in there this whole time and we would have never known. There could be poutine in there and we just yeah. don't know because there's no windows. There's definitely COVID in there. That's one thing we know is, <laughs> is, 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 is festering inside. Uh, so it's, it, it, so, and then it, it didn't move, right? It was, it was, I mean, cause we see, you know, the, the end credits of the film are the, the actual bar being torn down. Um, yeah. Which I found very moving, actually. Uh, I, no, I didn't. <laughs> that bar had been there since 1919. It would be as old as Musso and Frank now if wow. Neil Simon's wife didn't want to dress shop. That's crazy. Patrick, uh, aside from presumably seeing so much of yourself in young filmmaker Troy Duffy, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, <laughs> what about what about this movie so resonates? It's funny uh, you said you. that because you know i i i mean I, I i sent you a message while i was watching the movie that i was i was actually having a kind of a, a, an unexpected like reaction to it and it was like oddly uh not i i don't want i mean i use the term emotional i don't want to say like emotional like i was crying watching this movie or anything <laughs> but it did make me think about like myself and how i've changed since the first time i watched this movie and like my empathy levels and, you know, the first time I watched this movie, I think I was probably in my mid to late 20s. And I'd never made a movie before myself, you know. And I was just a fan of, like, dumb shit and dumb guys saying <laughs> dumb shit. And so it was perfect. Like, it it, 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 it fulfills that perfectly, you know. Uh, but then watching it now as, like a dad and like someone who like has made a bunch of stuff and has like navigated this world, you know, for the last, you know, at least six or seven years, I had a lot more like, and also just watching how the movie's edited and how it truly, it feels like a, almost like, you know, like a, like a Troy Duffy dumbass compilation, you know, like as opposed <laughs> to like, like like a like a well crafted movie like it's like it's like Troy Troy Duffy dumbass compilation mixed with like these like wannabe you know lingering shots of like I don't know like a bag flying through the air or like when they're recording out <laughs> in, in 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 this like farm like a horse you know with over like sad music like all the transit. still smoldering cigarettes and ashtrays lots of cigarettes lots of dudes smoking cigarettes lots of close ups of cigarettes burning. And it just like, I don't know, like, I just, I just, like, I had, you know, like, I had thoughts in my head of like, yeah, it is really hard to get a movie made. Yeah, it is really hard to like, (laughs) you know, like, like, navigate that. It is hard to like, make someone believe in you, you know, and I think you can have those feelings. And it also did feel like, yeah, these filmmakers aren't really being fair to him, you know, too. Uh, And, and, uh, and they're, they're, they've chosen a narrative and that's, and they're editing the movie according to that narrative. That said, I also think at the same time, it is it is a it the film is a distillation of a time period and a type of a, a time where a type of dude could like reign supreme, you know, and like have money be thrown at him. It made me think about I don't it's like a it was like a tweet or, or a quote from someone who said, uh, Lord Lord grant me the confidence of a mediocre white man, 
<laughs> and like that we it is we are witnessing a dude like just just getting by on on confidence alone you know what i mean like confidence alone and then whatever like you know there's they talk a lot about his vision and they talk about what he wants to do but he never talks about like the boondock saints and like what it means or what what it's about or anything like the not once in the entire film it's just like i got all these great fucking ideas everyone owes owes me everything no one's been given this many opportunities at the same time and uh, you know uh we can't blow it and if i do blow it it's because all my dumbass friends are with me you know so anyway that's 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 like that's that's like the many different like like neurons that were firing while watching it this this time <laughs> as a 30 yet yeah, eight year old i watched an interview with the filmmakers and they talked about how much like i i understand like the feeling that this is the toy duffy dumbass compilation but i i watched this interview with the filmmakers and they're like you would not believe the amount of racist sexist and homophobic stuff we cut out the things that he said about minorities and women are unforgivable and we just we and and we cut it out. So if you think that we're doing a hit job, uh, you should see what we took out. Wow. Uh, which makes I, me wonder, I like, why? That. Just you know, put that in too. Why not? Well, also, yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't, go ahead. I I, I just I was going to no, say, no, like, no. I'm not sure. It's funny because I don't know. It's it, it, it the the question I guess that I would ask Tony Montana and. Uh, <laughs> Which is so funny, not to be an asshole and make fun of someone's name, but holy shit, one of the directors is named Tony Montana. Yeah. And it, I mean, and it all comes around too, by the way. I mean, I don't, you know, speaking of, I mean, we'll get into the Harvey Weinstein of it all, but I don't know if you saw Tony Montana's Wikipedia page, but he was, he's one of the accusers of Kevin Spacey for having sexually uh, harassed oh. him in in some way. So it was like... I did not know that. Yeah. So... Like, and, and I think he might've gotten a settlement as well. I'm not sure, but he like, I mean, I'm sure things are bad here in Hollywood now, but that was a horrible time to be here in, in terms of like just the level of exploitation that was going on. (laughs) Absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's very clear when you're watching the movie that Tony and also, is it Brian, the other friend who made the film? He has Mark Brian. Mark Brian. Two first names. But, but they're, they're both wildly exploited by troy duffy and the gang and like they're they're friends and so the lines are blurred but the way he talks to them i i feel for those guys oh yeah no imagine i mean that's and that's part of i you know that's that's the like it's it's obviously very sad because like life's short and this is how all these dudes are choosing to spend their lives is like being condescended to by troy duffy on a daily basis (laughs) Um, it, it really made me want to see, like, like I just wanted to see, like, I, I, I missed, like, minute details. Like, I want to know, like, if he gave them, like, $20 to go buy him a six-pack, if he, like, demanded exact change. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, like, I, yeah. I want... <laughs> that sounds like Troy. I, I wanted exact details outside of, the you know, like, I mean, I think the stuff with the band meetings are great. And the looks on those guys' faces while he's yelling at them is, is also just... I just... It, it makes me... Very happy to watch that kind of misery. I don't know what that says about me, um, but uh, but but yeah, it's no. It just seems it just seems like a dark situation. And there's something also about like the reality of how you know 
a lot of folks end up living when they come here expecting to be a part of the industry or be or as a part of the industry and they realize that like this is a very expensive place to live and you're going to find yourself living in a situation maybe with a bunch of people you don't like in an apartment in North Hollywood and like that that ends up being your life for a long time and like facilitating this other guy who just you know is treating you like shit and squandering opportunities left and right you know (laughs) oh my god truly i mean the story of overnight is is troy duffy opening doors for a dozen of his friends and then shutting them with with just incredible fanfare one one thing i'd like to say before we get too deep into this i think some people listening may wonder if this episode is for them, if Overnight is for them, if they have not seen the Boondock Saints, if they don't have context for the Boondock Saints. Um, and what I will say is that the Overnight, it, or, sorry, not, not the Overnight, that's a movie I, I love, directed by Patrick Price, but Overnight, Overnight is a movie that I had a, a huge affection for long before I worked up the courage to watch the Boondock Saints front to back. <laughs> Me too. Um, and, 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 Oh, yeah, I guess we could get into that. We might have both watched it to get ready for this. But um, Overnight is, to me, the definitive document of this whole Troy Duffy phenomenon. And The Boondock Saints is almost a companion piece um, that is in conversation with the documentary. But um, I would be curious uh, to hear from both of you what your relationship was to The Boondock Saints and, and your awareness of it your feelings about it. It was such a strange phenomenon for teenage and college age boys it was our producer and my husband's collins like a favorite movie of his like in high school and we were talking about it he watched this movie with me and he mentioned that like one of his early feminist awakenings was watching the boondock saints with a girl and looking at her horrified reaction like, wow so is there a woman who doesn't get a gun pointed in her face in this movie and he's like thinking is like one but she gets punched okay no you're right no this is no no this is bad <laughs> bethy were you were you the person who who reacted no to the no oh so he watched it with a woman before he watched it with you yeah twist the knife thomas thank you <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> So, so you had seen the Boondock Saints long before overnight. Yeah, I saw it uh, in freshman year of college, just on like a random weekend because I was making my way through like the teen boy and teen girl canons. <laughs> so you know, by club it is situated check. well within the teen boy canon. Yeah, I think. Um, I'm obsessed with the teen boy canon. There's so much going on in there, especially because like half of those movies are like satires of a type of masculinity that a lot of the boys who love the teen boy canon actually aspire to like American Psycho and Fight Club. Yeah. Yeah. Those are both great examples. I actually, I love both of those movies and they have uh, a really reductive, weird reputation online, I think. Yeah. And I think that uh, this movie is almost like the mocking critical lens for the Boondock Saints, which completely lacks that (laughs) critical lens that we're talking about. The Boondock Saints is in some ways the perfect movie for that kind of boy because it is not remotely critical. It is not at all self-aware. It is one of the most like boneheaded movies I've ever seen. <laughs> but, uh, Patrick, I'm curious, were you? did you see The Boondock Saints before you saw Overnight? Because Overnight came out in 2003. It postdates The Boondock Saints by several years. Right. 
so I, 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 I'm going to admit now I've never seen the Boondock Saints ever, and I don't <laughs> plan to. Oh sure, and and I and I saw I saw overnight, and then I ended up watching I think the first fifteen minutes of the Boondock Saints, and yeah. I I watched the scene where Willem Dafoe's character. Uh, puts on headphones and listens to classical uh, music while solving a crime that's been committed in like a church or something. Am I right right now? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I remember, well, no, it's, it's outside of a pub, but people know. Okay. I mean, he does it a couple of times. Is it the, it was a firefight scene or a different time that Willem Dafoe does that? The first one is, is outside of the pub where Troy Duffy okay. and his friends are hanging out. And then the McManuses kill the guys or whatever. Sorry, but I remember it. seeing that, and I remember I just I came I came to that movie too late to be enthralled by it. You know what I mean? And, let's just put it. Wait, that you way. saw it after the age of twelve? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember, but but and I think it was partly reacting to like the self seriousness of it. It also reminded me. I, I it felt like a very blatant ripoff of uh, the professional and Gary Oldman's character in that movie, and how he would like to vibe to classical music while being a bad guy you know I, I i don't know it just it just didn't it just didn't work for me and i was like bored and i ended up turning it off and you know and that's says a lot coming from like 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 for better or worse you know i came of age in the mid to late 90s early 2000s and during that it was the pulp p- post pulp fiction time right mm-hmm. where there were all those films like two days in the valley and things to do in denver when you're dead and Truth and Consequences, New Mexico, and, you know, like, there were all these, like, very violent, like, wannabe Tarantino films. Like, there's, I mean, there's a podcast there of just all of those fucking movies, you know, that came out. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure someone's doing that already. (laughs) And what's weird about Boondock Saints, and especially how it's, like, talked about in Overnight, and I think how it it exists as a movie, I can't really say, because I haven't watched the whole thing, but... It just feels like it's one of those movies that should have come out during that time and then just kind of ended up coming out too late because of the the path that it ended up being on, right? Right. And so it so it already felt even to me as a I guess when did it come out? 1999 or 2000? I was I was 17 or 18. It already felt like dated to me when it came out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I I think you're right. I think it I think it missed that wave of the Pulp Fiction imitators, but it also is like one of the more shallow and egregious imitators, and and that just makes it a uniquely unappealing offender. But I so I I sent I sent Patrick a message yesterday morning as I was really getting ready for this, and I was like, you know, I feel like I might have to watch the boondock saints to, to properly prepare for this. And he goes, God damn it. I was worried you were going to say that. <laughs> and that was, that was enough to nudge me over the line. And so I took the plunge on boondock saints. Oh buddy. I'm sorry. Attentive. I didn't, I'm sorry. I didn't go there with you. And now you're making me feel like you, you, you jumped no. and I, and I stayed no, back. No, no. <laughs> Two of us did it. You're an authority on overnight. We're good. Okay. But I, I watched attentively 45 minutes of the boondock saints. And then there were 20 or so where my mind was really wandering and then I just stopped watching it. But it is a, I understand why teenage boys like it. I knew many teenage boys who did like it. It is a really poorly made movie. Um, and, and I think that 
we don't need to get too into that. Overnight speaks for itself. But the opening sequence, the titles of Boondock Saints are so baffling. The titles are intercut with a bunch of really strange, unrelated slice-of-life things with these killer brothers. And when Troy Duffy's name immediately drops, it's totally haphazard. It doesn't make sense. It's after some, like, weird one-liner deliveries. I just... The movie feels like it's just it's edited with a hatchet, and so that made it really difficult to watch. But Overnight is eminently watchable, and I think works on its own terms. So maybe we just jump into that. Sure, sure. Was it, and what and was it and it, it, it remind me was it interspersed with like helicopter shots of Boston, like where they're like, yes, and I think a, <laughs> I think some of it's if not all of it is stock footage. I, I don't think that most of it was photographed for the Boondock Saints. Um, and it's pretty evident. There's like a, a scene where one of the assassin brothers is waiting inside of like a, a meatpacking plant and slaps his buddy in the face with a huge slab of Chuck beef. And we don't really have context for that or, or ever see that, that workplace again. And <laughs> it's just setting up the, the, the Boston of it all. But, um, for anyone who hasn't seen Overnight and wants context for why we would talk about it on this podcast beyond the fact that it orbits around this bar, Jay Sloan's, um, to me, this is kind of the perfect bar movie in that it's a document of some of the dopiest barflies who have ever lived, <laughs> but also nearly every scene in the dock is something that I would relay as an anecdote to a friend while drinking beer at a bar. Like, you would not believe this thing that happens in this dock that reflects something that happened in real life that relates to this movie the boondock saints and there are just so many of these it's such a wild succession of fuck-ups all of which are really really funny and it's just it's 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 magical and magnetic in its schadenfreude bethy what was what was your experience watching overnight for the first time you came to this whereas patrick and i had seen this before right and i had seen the boondock saints before like in a bit uh i also did some research Ahead of this, I didn't rewatch the Boondock Saints. What I did instead was I watched a bunch of, uh, rewatched a bunch of episodes of Vanderpump Rules. <laughs> because I, I realized who Troy Duffy reminds me of is Jax Taylor, a uh, controversial star of Vanderpump Rules, because there's just this very specific kind of guy who's a straight guy who lives in West Hollywood that's just, poison uh it's like they moved there because it has hollywood in the name and it's yeah. like a little bit classier than than uh central hollywood where i i live or north hollywood where other people live but like they move somewhere that's like too expensive for them and it's also a place where uh they are not necessarily top dog so that they perform masculinity in the weirdest grossest way i've ever seen a human being do it and so I, I was just sort of swimming in that sea of dumb boy uh, and going like, ha I'm not there. And that's nice for me. <laughs> there's there's not a sing not a single bed sheet in the film overnight has been washed <laughs> ever. Yeah. <laughs> no way. No way. I, I don't think they washed them before they drove from Connecticut to Los Angeles. I think those sheets just <laughs> have collected soil for decades. And and also, much like the stars of Vanderpump Rules, Troy Duffy 
wanted to be filmed. He, mm-hmm. he commissioned this film. He wanted his friends to document the rise and incredible success of not only his film, The Boondock Saints, but the journey of his band, The Brood, which he would later rename The Boondock Saints. He was excited and thought that this would just be part of the larger Troy Duffy media empire. Did not occur to him that his friends would turn on him, that the documentary would have an inflection point where it is no longer a fan of Troy Duffy, but actively hates him. <laughs> and so that makes it this really interesting kind of kind of gonzo thing, just tracing that friendship. Um, again, for anyone who hasn't seen Overnight, couldn't recommend it more highly. But before we get into it, just a quick flyover of what, what this movie covers. Troy Duffy wrote The Boondock Saints while working at Jay Sloan's. And he was made an offer by Miramax. He was offered $300,000 for his script with a $15 million production budget, which was amazing. You know, this came out of nowhere. In addition, as Patrick said earlier, the bar was to be purchased by Miramax with Troy Duffy named as a co-owner. And baked into all of this was a record deal for his band. This is fucking crazy. This is this is the wildest sort of potential success story. I mean, even things like this weren't really happening at the time with the exception of like, goodwill hunting you know um but he was so excited by all of this that he commissioned this documentary and then he through unbelievable hubris and buffoonery blew the deal up it just disappeared and 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 so the documentary tracks the fallout of all of that and it's great to watch i mean when i'm watching it i think this movie would make a great double feature with windy city heat which is uh a movie i love (laughs) <laughs> I think that movie has its detractors. It's it's a Bobcat Goldthwait documentary made for Comedy Central where basically they prank an aspiring comic into thinking that he is going to become a movie star in this film, Windy City Heat, but they're just kind of making fun of him the whole time. That movie has its detractors because it's punching down, but I think Overnight is empirically better than that one because everyone's kind of on an even footing and Troy Duffy is deserving of this send-up. Mm-hmm. But that's... That's about as much background as I feel I need to give, and we can just kind of get into the moments of overnight and the the implications and and you know the, the whole fucking thing. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I mean that didn't honestly didn't occur to me as much in, in terms of like like what what the film represents as a whole is that shift in perspective of of the directors, right? And like what this footage was originally intended to to be and and then compiled in this way what it what it actually is you know and there are so many i think every single shot of tony montana in this movie is him just staring off into space wondering how the fuck he got himself into this situation (laughs) Yeah. literally says at one point 22 to 25 minutes into the movie why did i get into business with this guy yeah. <laughs> and then there's another hour of documentary yeah and then there's another hour of him following him to Cannes and following him to record his album and you know like, like i mean it continues but but yeah that was i mean that's one of the things that i think is is like I, this movie is best experienced watching it with that context because then you sort of are able to put aside any like aesthetic issues you might have with like how the movie actually works, you know, or like how it looks and feels. And, you know, it feels very much a document of like early digital video, early 2000s. You know, it's not like it's um, it's and, and it's it's not like it's like 
it's it, it's like I, I don't know what you'd call that where it's like it's not verite because like the person holding the camera is being talked to and is very you know the the, the subjects are very aware of the fact that they're being filmed and i think yeah. a lot of what you're seeing especially from troy is like is performative fucking stupid masculinity you know what i mean yeah let's talk about the like the bullshit meta narrative stuff that troy duffy is always doing every (laughs) there's so many scenes where he has just gathered a bunch of his dudes around a table and he's gonna give he's just gonna yell about how efficient he is and how he does it best and how you got to get these guys whatever they need you know like you gotta do it. You gotta if they say suck your cock, you gotta you gotta suck their cocks, all right? Because we're here to get it done. I'm the only guy who's ever done anything like this in my entire life, in anyone's life in the history. It's like so just do stuff. I don't understand why you have to have so many meetings talking about fin to do stuff. Just do stuff. <laughs> it is like the perfect flip side to the American movie coin, whereas in American movie, all of that sort of like you know, aspiration and plan making and big talk is endearing because you can see Mark is kind of this insecure guy just trying to figure shit out in his weird rural arena. Whereas Troy Duffy's posturing is like so infuriating, uh, but it's it's hysterical. I mean, he says something really early in the documentary that makes me laugh so hard, which is it's like you're saying, Bethy, he's creating this narrative, but he says, we will do something no one on this planet has ever done. <laughs> Be accepted in both mediums of music and film. And that is not true. That has been done many, many times. I think actually in early Hollywood, you could, you could argue that a lot of that was happening in tandem constantly. But just the, the hubris and the utter lack of self-awareness and all of that is underscored by people in the background of every shot just sort of with their head in their hands experiencing the blowhard that is Troy Duffy. In that scene in particular, he's sitting with his dad who just looks dead all, in the eyes. All of his kind of family members, all of his family members, like the first 20 minutes of the movie are like basic. I mean, the movie begins with him, you know, the announcements of him getting this deal. Basically, we're not really given any like backstory or, or run up to that. And, you know, this deal happens and all of a sudden he has, we're basically watching him spend his advance on, of, of, <laughs> that, he, that he got on the deal, right? And so he's like, you know, he flies his family out to L.A. They're like staying in a nice hotel. He's chain smoking indoors. You know, he does that the entire movie, but he's doing it with his whole family. And then the first 20 minutes of the movie is basically him talking about himself while his while his family and his little <laughs> brothers look on with just the, just like the blankest <laughs> looks Fair. on their faces yeah i mean it really is like imagine if like your dumbass big brother who like no one took seriously at all got this big chunk of money and then all of a sudden just starts treating your whole family like shit but also is like paying for your flight to la and like you know once again performative like fulfilling whatever old 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 dumb version of like being a guy narrative you know this like and it's like it's it's like gangster stuff it's like wannabe soprano stuff you know what i mean it's like i'm gonna take care of you guys now you know i mean that's what we're gonna do and uh and it's and, and like seeing that played out and like no one's having fun. No one's really enjoying it. <laughs> I, I don't even think he is, you know? No, he's not having fun. But the 
the thing you're talking about, there's there are this movie is in many ways a patchwork and feels like there are pieces missing, but I think the pieces that are there are really great, and there are a lot of scenes in this that you could not write better than they exist in this movie. Like the the scene where he's riding with his mom in the car and talking about how his brother is second guessing him and has questions about his 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 vision for success. And his mom says, look, you know, like you guys, you guys need to find some common ground. Troy, you need to take a step back and consider your brother's perspective. And Troy says, no, this is an instance where he's completely fucking wrong and I'm completely fucking right. And she's like, well, you know, that's that's what your dad thought. And ultimately that led to our divorce. I just think you need to consider that you're not seeing the whole picture here. And he says, no, my brother is 100 percent fucking wrong and I'm 100 percent fucking right. And then you have the rest of the documentary where you realize that the, the suspicion you had for the first 10 minutes of the documentary, which is that Troy Duffy doesn't have anything figured out. He's a fucking disaster. Um, and it's, it's, it's magic. I mean, he just sets himself for failure at every turn. Something that I missed was, was the mom <clears throat> saying that, that that's how his dad reacted to things. Some I, that got missed. It, the the audio quality is is pretty muddy in a lot of places. As we're talking about, it's it is uh, very early two thousands. It's before documentaries got like the prestige sheen they have now. Let's just yes. say that. I'm not going to blame Tubi though. I'll no. blame the production. No. I, I don't blame anybody really. It's just it was the state of technology at the time. But his dad is is kind of like a secret silent character in the movie because you re- I, I realized eventually oh that's who he is playing at that's who mm. he's pretending to- he's playing dad yeah. <laughs> that's that's like where he learned this script and somehow i guess he doesn't notice how things didn't work out great for dad but they rarely do Except for in Patrick's case, Patrick is a father. It's gonna it's gonna work out great. It's, yeah. I, oh no I, no no! I met people who who pretend to be their dads. And yeah, don't totally. notice yeah. where their dads have misstepped. Yeah, that's what I meant. So so Patrick mentioned that the the opening of the movie is basically Troy blowing his advance, and some numbers they don't give you in the movie is that the money that was paid out. Um, before the deal blew up, was a three hundred thousand dollars script fee, which Duffy got to keep, but was also paid a $150,000 directing fee and a $700,000 development fee, both of which had to be paid back. So he spent well in excess of that script fee. um, And I I kind of am surprised the documentary doesn't milk that before because he was in a fucking terrible financial situation as a result of his ego. And very soon, like after... Like, I mean, within a year, right, after doing this deal, like, the deal ended up going sour, right? Um, There's that part. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, There's the part in that beginning when he's blowing his advance where he says, everyone keeps coming up to me and saying, like, uh, it's it's not going to last. These things fall through. Remember, sometimes the, these things always blow up. Is it, that'll never happen to me. That'll never happen to me. <laughs> and then, like, two or three years later, he's in that same hotel doing, like, a... He's, like, was doing a speaking tour at Boston University or something, and he says the exact same thing. Like, these things never work out. These things always <laughs> fall through. Never believe in your dreams. No, I know we're jumping around, but, like, the scene of him talking to film students at the end of the movie oh. is so... <laughs> amazing and 
He's he's just he's being as combative as I've ever seen someone be in any interaction, let alone as a you know I'm, I, I'm assuming invited guest speaker to a film class. <laughs> Paid like that's clearly why he's doing it is because he's in the hole financially and he's on a speaking. He's doing it for the speaking fees. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've done that before, right? When like I'll get invited <laughs> to go speak to to kids who are film students or whatever, and like. For me, it's, like, always a very, like, sweet, like, fulfilling experience where, like, I just, like, kind of want to listen to people and, like, I mean, I don't, like, obviously have a chip on my shoulder. Like, I feel like, you know, I'm there. I've been I'm, I've been invited for the right reasons or whatever. But, like, I just can't imagine. And I'm also realistic, too, when I talk to the kids. And it's not ever anything where, like, I want to, like, ruin anybody's dreams. But I'm also, like, <laughs> <laughs> just so you guys know, like everyone ha- has their own path when it comes to this business. And part, I think part of finding your success is like realizing what you're good at and, and, and sticking with that, like picking your lane, you know? And so I, I don't, that said, I don't think Troy Duffy, like, I think he literally went there to just be super competitive with people <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, air his, air his grievances, but it's, it's a, it's a beautiful moment as the, as the bow tied, I mean, like straight out of central casting film professor looks on as this, this, this meathead just like, <laughs> just patronizes his, uh, students, you know? Are you saying you, you never, uh, pointed at, singled out one particular audience member at your tour and say that they have, they specifically have very unrealistic ideas of what Hollywood is like? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's like that truly was him like making a joke for his meathead friends, but none of them were there, and so right. it just landed with a thud. He's like being like a schoolyard bully, but none of his little cronies are around and it's just crickets. But that that scene is amazing to me because everyone in the room, all of the students are looking at him with looks of extreme discomfort. And so there's a woman in the back of the class who I think is kind of uncomfortable with the vibe and feels almost like she needs to reassure him. And so she raises her hand and says something to the effect of, I know this was upsetting for you. I know it was a tumultuous journey, but I hope that you can take some pride in in what you've created, that you were able to make your movie. And he's just such a little bitch about it. His response is just so unbelievably sad and pathetic. He's like, well, you don't know how hard this was. You sound exactly like my sister. That's exactly what my sister's trying to say. To me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was telling Thomas this before, but that scene especially reminded me of one time I was at HMS Bounty and there's there's a regular there who wears like a pork pie hat and is very, you know, just like a drunk guy at a bar a lot. And I, this is like one of the first times I was talking to him and he asked me like what I do. And I was like, Oh, I'm a writer. He's like, he like leaned in so close and went, run away, little girl. Oh no. Run away. Then he leaned away. It was like, this town will eat you alive. You're never going to make it. Run away. <laughs> it's oh, like, no. I'm, I'm on a show right now. I'm okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh God. People love to feel like they know things, yeah. <laughs> like they know more than you do, like they have some secret wisdom that, that they're generously imparting. I don't really think that's Troy's vibe in this scene, but <laughs> that might be your HMS guy. 
Can we talk about the fucking celebrities in this movie? Oh, man. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> it is it is painful to see a lot of people I really admire in the Troy Duffy orbit. At the same time, I can't blame them, considering the press and the buzz that he was getting at the time. But, like, fucking, like, Jeff Goldblum, Matthew Modine, uh... Watching movies at the bar, sweetheart, Patrick Swayze, Billy's, Billy Zane, Billy Zane, yeah. getting roped into this. Except Billy Zane might be the best appearance because it's just this weird, like, throwaway shot of him standing outside of the bar, looking uncomfortable, <laughs> like waiting for a ride. Yeah. But no, it's it's bananas, and you've got like Mark Wahlberg uh, <laughs> talking about how he should be giving Troy Duffy a blowjob on camera oh or God. something to to let him know how much he loves the script. Although Wahlberg ultimately walked away from Boondock Saints to make Boogie Nights, so he has, you know, some some judgment. I guess. That I mean which is which is, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's a film Somebody he, somebody has judgment affiliated yeah. with Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, exactly exactly. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's Mark himself, but like I mean it's a film he completely rejects at this point, right? Like he hates boogie nights right yeah and he also like he also definitely committed at least one or two hate crimes before uh <laughs> all of, before, not long before this movie was shot that's true probably. yeah 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 but but yeah I, and and i guess it also speaks to just the weird vacuum that probably was entertainment press at that time like there's a lot of shots of the guys reading hollywood reporter or variety and and it was interesting <laughs> to see that and think oh yeah this is there's no Twitter. There's no, you know, like like the talk of the town or the banter is actually pe- actual human beings gossiping with each other and or reading stuff that's, you know, in in the entertainment press. And so, I, I mean, it's just quite remarkable that like whatever celebrity hanger-ons became involved, it happened because of like one or two articles in Variety. You know what I mean? Or like you know, their agents, you know, who are also, you know, like a total presence in this movie and also complete scumbags in a different way. Uh, Oh yeah. Many of whom are still working folks. Yes. I was, I was IMDB proing it up while I was watching this movie of like, which, you know, and it seems like all the agents are still agents at this point. Oh yeah. 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 And have, have, have healthy client lists, but, um, yeah, no, all of that stuff, all of that stuff is unreal. There's that bit where Troy Duffy is so excitedly talking on the phone to his agent about casting while the guys are filming, and he says stuff like, I hate Keanu. Ethan Hawke's a talentless fool. And he's like smirking knowingly, like, can you guys believe the way I'm wheeling and dealing Hollywood style? And he says like, uh, uh, who is this idiot? Jerry Bruckheimer? Con fucking air? It's like, dude, you... you couldn't be luckier to have any of these people involved with your movie uh the one scene where he's screaming at an agent you know um oh. where, he's, where he's screaming at icm uh because i i think the issue was this was after you know the the ind- whatever the whoever the independent financier that ended up coming in and actually making boogie nights he's screaming at them because of some misunderstanding, I think about Patrick Swayze, right? About like like someone made a might have made a pair play offer to Patrick Swayze. That- oh no, it was oh. John Bon Jovi. That's oh right. yeah. yeah, Bon Jovi. So he's he's screaming at my agent <laughs> in that scene. Oh my god, really? <laughs> yes. 
he's screaming shit. he's screaming and it was something that i remembered like a small like tidbit of because i remembered i had talked to my agent about troy duffy at one point and she said oh i'm in that movie and that, that like this like and that like <laughs> memory went away and then watching it now like you know a, a couple of days ago He's he. There's that scene where he's just screaming and screaming and screaming, and then he says her name, and I was and I like yeah. thought I was like in a dream or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very it's very funny considering she's 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 a she's I mean she's awesome, but she's very much like a bulldog and a very like intense person and someone who like I think could conceivably beat the sh- living shit out of Troy Duffy. So you know, it's sort of, it's it, it should have. Yeah. We wish she had. Yeah. Me too. Um, but yeah, it's, no, it's a small, it's a small world and it's, and it's crazy. The life that these people end up, you know, the, the longevity that these people are are able to have and like, and just so sick and sad, like, like the obvious exploit, exploitative nature of that relationship. And like these, I mean, there's that scene where the guy says, I don't give a shit. Like, it's just money. I don't give a shit about anything. It's just money, you know? Um, which lays it all out there for you. I mean, what more do you need than than that? That makes me think of my first interview for a job in LA. I was very naive, and it was a one week before I was supposed to drive across the country from Iowa to move into my new place. And I got an interview for a job in LA, and my parents were very nice. And the only time they've ever done this in their life, they used frequent flyer miles to allow me to fly to LA and have this interview. And I went and I was so excited to meet with this production company. And it was such a funny prelude to moving here because it was like the most soul leeching, awful experience I've ever had (laughs) where I sat down and I was, it, it was this distributor who doesn't put out cool movies anymore, but I was really excited. I sat down uh, mustered up a lot of enthusiasm for their slate. And after I talked about their projects a bit, I said, you know, what are you guys trying to do next? Like, what what are you, what are you hoping to accomplish in the next year or so? And, and the person who I was meeting with said, I don't know, something that makes money. <laughs> and it was just like, it was such a bummer. And like, the, the longer I've been here, the more I understand that that is just the way that a lot of people talk and they are varying degrees of not great. But that, Oh man, I just remember wind wind out of my sails. Yeah. I Sorry, that's an aside. No, it's no, I mean it's I mean I think I mean this film is very much about like the state of it's a, it's a document of the state of the industry at that time and, and as to how someone could reach the heights that they did. Like I don't I don't think you could do that. I mean, maybe you can you still do that now, but it's with you know, like there's like Instagram and like it, how someone like I don't know like why is someone like Jake Paul making a shitload of money? You know what I mean? Someone who like might right, not right. actually be as smart as Troy Duffy, you know, um, but is you know wildly successful. And like why why certain people like I just wonder what like Harvey Weinstein smelled on him at the time. You know what I mean? And like I, I mean I I have a weird relationship with with Harvey because I so my my first ever pitch the first time i ever went to pitch on a script like that had been sent to me as a submission as a director was to harvey weinstein directly it was <laughs> oh, it was shit. straight to him like i'd 
you know, I'd made the overnight, I'd made creep, you know, and, and no one really, I mean, I wasn't like getting horror scripts sent to me or anything based on this like weird ass found footage movie that I made in the woods with a video uh, camera. I really like creep. I oh, recommend that to anyone thanks. listening, but, but it uh, wasn't, it wasn't like a movie that I don't think like, you know, like my agent didn't really know what to do with it. I didn't really, I didn't really consider myself a horror director at the time. So like I wasn't getting sent horror stuff, you know, and then I made the overnight and then that was like the first time that was like, you know, like it was a lot clearer, like what I could do to people or like how I would fit into certain worlds or in certain projects or with certain companies or whatever. Right. So then that's when I started to actually do the whole meeting thing. And the first script that I actually read that I was like, Oh, I, I could see making this, I could see, you know, turning this into something that's mine. The first pitch that I had to do was to Harvey Weinstein. It was with the, with the Weinstein company. And so I went and I remember, I mean, it was a crazy experience just because like it was, you know, this guy who, I mean, like I knew from this movie from overnight (laughs) Uh, and, and, you know, obviously from his reputation and this was pre 2017, obviously Mm -hmm. too, right. This was in 2015, I think late 2015. And this was also like in, in the, in the, in the twilight days of the Weinstein company already, even without the Me Too movement, you know, they were not doing that great as a company at the time. And I, I remember driving out to their offices in, uh, uh, Beverly Hills and I got a flat tire on the way. I don't know if like, I don't, I'm I'm not like, I'm, I'm agnostic, you know, I'm not like a full on atheist, but I, you know, I I believe there's like energy that connects us all in some way. And and that energy was definitely saying, don't go meet with Harvey Weinstein right now. (laughs) Like, like, I'm protecting you from having a meeting with the devil or for potentially shaking hands with the devil, you know? And I ended up getting an Uber, you know, I ended up getting like AAA and then getting an Uber and taking the Uber to, to see him. And then I remember going into their offices and everyone in the waiting room was so uptight and like weird and scared. And I remember watching the receptionist get yelled at by another person because the water bottles were not lined up in a, the proper way. That was like what I was watching happen as I was sitting in the lobby. So I'm watching that and I'm like, you know what? I should probably go pee before this pitch. And so I get up and I go to the, go to the bathroom. And as I'm walking to the bathroom in my head, I'm like, Harvey Weinstein's in the bathroom right now. I know Harvey Weinstein's <laughs> in the bathroom right now. And I go into the bathroom, and as I open the door, Harvey Weinstein comes walking towards me, <laughs> having just oh, having no. just peed. I don't know if he washed his hands or not, but it was like one of those moments. Probably not. Where like, yeah, probably not. Where like I'm standing there, and he's and we look at each other, and I'm about to meet with this guy, and like I'm I'm a big guy, like I'm six foot six, like I'm very like I I'm not a uh, I can't hide behind trees or anything from people like i'm very like you know like i'm like people know i'm there when i'm there and he's kind of a shorter guy and and so it's one of those things where like i'm like looming above him and and so i you know i just go hey i'm patrick i'm and i reach out my hand i say i'm I'm gonna meet with you in five minutes i'm patrick and he like he's like yeah yeah nice to meet you and like walks off and then i do i do my pitch to him and uh i swear to god like he 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 didn't listen to a single word i said you know he was waiting to talk and then he would 
say whatever he was going to say. And then uh, he answered the phone twice without even saying, excuse me, like literally picking up the phone and walking out of the room, starting to talk. And then he'd be in the other room and his executives are, you know, these like sycophant executives are sitting around and they're like, you're getting the full Harvey today. You know, like, like this very, like, you know, like I'm scared. I'm shitting my pants right now, you know? Um, uh, uh, and, uh, I got the job, you know, I, I got the movie after, after the meeting. And it was like one of those things where I left and I was like, that was horrible. And then I got the job and it was, I mean, it was another, like, I, I, you know, I, I feel like Troy Duffy right now. This is what Troy Duffy must've felt like <laughs> in that moment. And then, and then, you know, and then it turned into this bullshit thing where like they were, they were not going to make the movie and it ended up being this thing where they had to give them an ultimatum about whether they were going to make it or not. And luckily we had good producers and so they took it away and the movie ended up not getting made, but it was, um, you know, it was a memory. You know, it was, it was definitely like something to, it, I mean, it was a weird lesson, you know, for sure as to like not put myself in that position unless I, it was something I really wanted to do. And then also like, why was I even doing that in the first place? You know what I mean? Like, why was I thinking that, that anything good could come out of that relationship based on <laughs> every story I've heard being terrible <laughs> <laughs> and the the fact that multiple films have been made about this guy being bad at his job, you know, <laughs> but you, I don't know. It's just like, it's also one of those things where it's like, wow, I could do that, you know? And so you put yourself in that position to just, I'm also like, I just wanted to see what it would be like to, to, to have that experience too, you know? Yeah, I don't. I don't think that anyone in 2015 would begrudge you for being invited to meet to to make a movie with the Weinstein Company, um, and then you doing that. That seems well. I'm normal. so. I mean, my God. I mean, I'm grateful I didn't do it for many reasons, but a big part of it, you know, obviously is like you know everything that came out about him, and then also like the fact that if I had made that movie in that time period, it would have been you know put in put in a box and sent out to sea. Uh, you know, yeah. like, right. I think there's movies that they were waiting to release that have still never been released be- because of all, all that happened, you know, during that time. But it is weird watching overnight in a post 2017 world and, and thinking like, wow, two assholes. I like just like <laughs> really thinking about like, it's like beta fish eating each other sort of <laughs> vibes and 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 like how the how the hollywood ecosystem like shakes out and like you can tell that troy duffy definitely thinks that the biggest asshole always wins and it also seems like that kind of was harvey weinstein's opinion as well so it's like a really interesting like who would win superman or the flash but for being like a prick in professional <laughs> dealings just it just makes me think of one of my favorite troy duffy lines in the movie where he says they just made the mother of all Miramax fuck-ups. <laughs> um, I'll be right back. I wrote down something like that, but I left my notes uh, in the other room because I'm all fucked up on vaccine. I'll be right back. It may sound like every episode of Watching Movies at the Bar is a freewheeling, moderately intoxicated conversation happening completely off the cuff but it is not so. Each episode is researched heavily by your hosts. So much Googling, you have no idea. 
Bookshelf, a new app and website that takes the algorithm out of the internet, has asked me, Bethy, to curate shelves of digital media on their app. Go to bookshelf.com, that's book, S-H-L-F, so no E, dot com, slash user, slash Bethy Squires to see the articles I've read for prep on this podcast, as well as shelves about navigating Hollywood as a woman and the darker side of the Walt Disney Company. And if you like what I've shared, leave a little tip. That's book, S-H-L-F, dot com, slash user, slash Bethy Squires. It was in the meeting where where Troy Duffy is talking about how they need to do something for the troops to show they support the troops. The band oh should my support god. the troops more. Oh my god. That's one of the funniest things <laughs> to me too. Um and then he says he says that um that he has a log pile of creativity and no but this town has never seen something like this before and that he also has a deep cesspool of creativity <laughs> deep cesspool of creativity i loved he doesn't know what cesspool means or maybe he does and it was like a it was like a um i'm so cool because i talk about poop thing yeah yeah you go either way and then right under that i just have the note does troy duffy vape now what do we think? It's a great question. I watched an interview with him in 2017. Sorry, is that the one you're talking about? Yes, I was just about to say. Yeah, I didn't watch any of it. No, go I, ahead. Was there any vaping that took place during that 2017 interview? There was no there was no vaping in it, but there's a thing where as people get over their the, the register or as people get older, the register of their voice drops. Mm-hmm. Troy Duffy has dropped almost an octave from overnight um and just seems fucking haggard but um part of why he did that 45 minute interview was to set the record straight because the two stars of the boondock saints um announced publicly they wanted nothing to do with the third film on twitter without first telling troy duffy who had been doing a bunch of like weird blog press saying that they were going to round out the trilogy oh, no. and so he went on to address the controversy basically the hits uh, have 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 continued for for Troy Duffy <laughs> in the ensuing years up to as recently as 2017. I have a weird question that if I ever get to meet Troy, I want to ask him. I don't know if you guys have ever been to uh, the restaurant Booze Cheesesteak uh, in uh, Silver Lake. I guess it is. It's like a cheesesteak restaurant, and there is a giant signed poster. For the Boondock Saints 2. And it is the only piece of art that is in Boo's cheesesteak. And I want to know what Troy Duffy <laughs> has to do with Boo's cheesesteak. And I've and, and when I actually went to research this this film and I Googled Troy Duffy, I realized that my last saved search for Troy Duffy was Troy Duffy's Boo's cheesesteak. <laughs> searched like a year ago like i'm like i need to know why (laughs) even if you don't have the opportunity to meet him i think that the best way to get to the bottom of that would be to scroll down his personal twitter feed have you checked this out where he signs his own tweets td t duff t duff (laughs) (laughs) it's t duff it's so funny that that to me is like the funniest 
weird Twitter thing is when people sign their tweets because it never makes sense. Like, it, it wouldn't even make sense for Bill Gates to be, like, tweeting from the Microsoft account and to be, like, signed Bill Gates. It's just, <laughs> it's it's weird. It's not it's not the way people communicate. But Troy Duffy <laughs> signs most of them. And then inexplicably, he will not sign one here and there. But it's something that he very clearly tweeted himself. It's fascinating. But he has posted photos of almost every appearance of the posters at, at businesses. So I'm sure there's a document there. I'm so curious. This reminds me that um, the platinum record for the wallflowers bringing down the horse is in Cantor's kibitz room, <laughs> which I'm as flummoxed by as <laughs> as a booze cheesecake. Another strange documentary is Jacob Dylan's documentary uh, about music in Laurel Canyon. It's it's. I don't know if you guys have ever gotten the chances. It's not good. Is that Echo in the Canyon? Yeah. It's a few years ago, it's a right? Bad, oh, yeah, it's a, I, I heard it wasn't movie. good. Yeah. It came out like right before all of the stuff, right? That was like one of the last things you could see the arc light ever. Oh, wow. Was Echo in the Canyon. <laughs> but also, also just another instance where I go straight to empathy, where I'm like, it must be really fucking hard to be Bob Dylan's son, you know? So like, yeah. <laughs> whatever makes you happy, man. <laughs> whatever works. I, I think that's fair. I'm sure he has good qualities, just like Troy Duffy has good qualities. <laughs> like, you know, we'll do shows at Army bases free of charge to show them we respect them. <laughs> he's he's not he's not a bad guy. <laughs> well, do 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 we have do we have any big outstanding overnight thoughts? Well, I was going to say the other personal anecdote I have associated with this movie is the first the the first film that I ever worked on, like the first movie that I ever got the chance to, to be a part of, uh, was, uh, was as a assistant to the writer and producer of a self-financed horror film that was being shot in Northern California called pig hunt. And, uh, this movie, I think, I, I don't know if it's on any streaming services. You can find it, you know, somewhere on the internet, but it's a very strange movie. And, it was shot by Adam Kane, who shot Boondock Saints. Holy shit. Yeah. And once again, having only seen <laughs> the first 15 minutes of Boondock Saints, but having seen the entirety of Overnight on multiple occasions, when I met Adam Kane for the first time as like the, the, the fucking, you know, assistant to the producer who was like getting coffees for everyone and stuff. My very first covers my very first question for him was, what was it like shooting the boondocks? <laughs> you didn't waste any time, Patrick. <laughs> you gotta seize those opportunities, man. And uh he was not into talking about making the boondock scenes. He was Weird. like <laughs> It was like not like it was it was basically like, yeah, that guy didn't know what the fuck he was doing. That was a really terrible experience for me. I basically had to direct that entire movie. You know, like like any good Ugh. crusty DP, you know, DP would say that's that's been through yeah. that. Oh my god. And it's also too, Adam Kane is briefly his his name is briefly mentioned in the movie and it's it's towards the end of the movie where they like in in a in a just a haphazard fashion try to create some and and quickly abandon this like weird narrative that like Harvey Weinstein's like trying to have Troy Duffy killed or something 
By <laughs> at the Palm Springs Film Festival. At the Palm Springs <laughs> When Film a car Festival. drives up on the curb yeah. and almost hits Troy. So at the moment that happens, the guy that's being interviewed by Tony Montana is saying, I didn't really like the movie, but I thought some of the stuff was good. I actually thought Adam Kane, and then as he says Adam Kane, name-checking the cinematographer, that's when you hear this screech of a car oh <laughs> apparently trying to kill Troy Duffy and his producer. <laughs> And then you get a really funny title card where it says, Troy Duffy then ran home and armed himself. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of the movie, basically, is that he's just Pretty armed much. in an apartment somewhere. Yeah, he like moves, he buys a gun, and then the bar gets turned into Neil Simon's wife's clothing store. <laughs> the end. <laughs> All right, before before we close the book on Overnight and Troy Duffy, I really want to talk about the third element of the Troy Duffy media empire that we've yet to discuss in depth, which is the band formerly known as The Brood. <laughs> By the way, the merch levels in this movie are insane. They are Wearing off the Richter scale. <laughs> yep. If there's one rule in the Troy Duffy <laughs> band of brothers, it's always wear your own band and or movies merch at all times. Always. That stuff is really incredible. And, and, and they meet with Jeff Baxter, who played in Steely Dan and the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> and when Jeff Baxter has that preliminary meeting, when Troy Duffy and the band still have incredible hype, he says one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever heard describing the band, which he goes... You know, it's kind of like uh, if the Beatles could do Alice in Chains, uh, which gives you something to think about. Well, especially funny once you listen to the Boondock Saints itself. I've, I've, oh, yeah. I've struggled very hard to find either, either of those comparisons. You need to send us out, by the way, with one of the one of the cuts, I think. From... <laughs> uh, that's that's not a bad idea. Is, is the Boondock Saints album called? Release the hounds. Send in the hounds. I don't know. There's a, there's an Let amazing photo shoot with some Rottweilers though, and those boys just looking hard and leathered up. <laughs> and you can't tell whether they're like posturing to look tough or whether they're actually very sad to be doing this photo shoot in San yeah. Pedro. Like they could either look dejected or tough. It's like it's it switches which one is like reading on their face during the whole shoot. I mean, it's months after Troy's brother literally tried to break up with him. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So I think the band energy can't be good. But uh, yeah, when I listen to that record to get ready for this, which, look, Patrick may not have watched the Boondock Saints, but he did listen to the Boondock <laughs> Saints. And I, I didn't hear a lot of Beatles or Alice in Chains, but I did hear a lot of Buck Cherry. Yes. So if that <laughs> is yes. to your liking... No, I was thinking about a lot of those, like, late 90s, like, white man bands, uh, where, like, a lot of, a lot of the songs are about, like, women dying somewhere, or, like, you know, someone, uh, I don't know, like, like, like a lot of, like, religious, uh, imagery as well. Uh, really, but when I say religious, I mean Irish Catholic specifically. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of the all-time great rock records. Um, oh, for sure. One of the uh, what <laughs> one one kicker I forgot about that I think people should know before this podcast ends, just to further motivate them to watch this movie, is after the Miramax deal blew up. Obviously, the Boondock Saints was then made. It was made with this 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 other financing entity, 
at half the budget with a very different deal. And at that point, Troy Duffy's relationship with his agents had so deteriorated that they were not really fighting for him. And he was so confident the movie was going to be a huge success that he was invested only in the box office receipts. When the movie then did not sell, its theatrical run was seven days because his contract only stipulated that he would be compensated from the box office proceeds. So Boondock Saints made $50 million in DVD sales, and Troy Duffy did not see a dollar of it. (laughs) And so after this whole fucked up journey... His confidence extended to that eventual deal-making, and he made basically nothing on this movie. It's so brutal. So it's something. It's so it really brutal. I mean, it was, it, was, it was, I think at the time, like, one of the biggest hits on DVD ever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it was, it was that perfect convergence of, like, Blockbuster, you know, it, during, those, during those years, each Blockbuster would buy, like, 30 DVDs or something. You know, and so, and and that, and this isn't just, this isn't just people buying individual DVDs. This is like the fact that there was still a home rental market or there was that brief window where like DVDs were coming out and then people were renting the shit out of them. And so these places would buy, buy, buy them like crazy. And so, yeah, it was this massive, massive cult hit that once again, once again, (laughs) (laughs) because of this man's just... In, you know, innate ability to self-sabotage completely, <laughs> completely fucked him in the end. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It is. It is totally unbelievable. You can't make it up. You can't you can't make it up. It's just it's yeah, it's it's I mean, that's part of, I think, what is, you know, the fun and glory of watching this movie. And I think, if you know, to watch this movie and enjoy this movie, you have to I think you have to be someone that doesn't um, that doesn't like take on too much empathy for 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 the people you're seeing because if you do you'll just have a bad experience if you are the type of person who likes watching you know russian dash cam crash compilations which is something i do love to do (laughs) in my in my spare time when i'm by myself then overnight might be for you Again, Patrick, have you watched Vanderpump Rules? I haven't. I'm a bachelor head and I don't, I just, I like, I watch all the bachelors and I, I, my, my, I, I don't have, I don't, I, I bet you if I watched it, I'd love it. Are you recommending I'm just it right gonna, now? I'm just going to give you like a couple plot points about Jax Taylor. This is okay. important. Speaking of Russian car crashes. I have one question. Does he have em- embroidery on his, on the back pockets of his jeans, AKA embroidery? Have, have you, have it, Oh, 100%. Well, I think it's part of the bar uniform, it's sir. Uh Yeah. Yes, he's he's deeply embroidered. Did briefly have a sweater line because of that one time that he wore a sweater to crash his ex-girlfriend's Las Vegas birthday party and that ended with everybody in that group taking off their shirts and fighting and like pretending to be about to fight in the parking lot. Mwah. Uh, Jax Taylor was cheating on his girlfriend with a, a former cast member of the show who like wasn't really like on the show anymore uh and he went over to the house where she was uh doing like palliative end of life care for this older woman <laughs> and uh and slept with her no either in the next room or possibly the same room it's no. not clear <laughs> 
And, and after they were done, he said the meanest things a person can say about his girlfriend. Uh, and she taped it all on voice memo. And eventually at, at a party, that girlfriend found out and played it over Bluetooth speakers. So, uh, there's this amazing scene where there's all these women who are in like sort of half shrugged off pink denim jackets because it was like two girls dressed in the same outfit for the party as like a goof where they're you just see them listening and you don't hear the audio because of california's two-way consent to recording laws like they can't play the audio (laughs) but they can play other people hearing it and the looks on people's faces oh wow (laughs) and that guy got married to that woman that he said that shit about (laughs) they have a kid now and he is i think two million dollars in debt to the irs like there's a lien on his house that he bought it's gonna be a good show for you you're gonna like it i'm in you you completely (laughs) sold it it sounds like a true american fairy tale I'm in. I think, I think the greatest incentive for people to come on our podcast is recommendation algorithms are bad. Yeah. But you have Bethy. We did Scream 2 with Mike. She sold Mike on Vampire Diaries. We're doing Overnight with Patrick. He's sold on Vanderpump Rules. Bethy, thank you so much. I mean, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm definitely gonna, I'm definitely not gonna lose brain cells watching that show. It's gonna make me a smarter, better dad and person. <laughs> It's high art. You're going to learn a lot about it's I call it heterosexual camp. <laughs> the genre that it is and yeah. that the Boondock Saints is too where it's like it's not gay camp. It's camp of straight people for straight people, but it is not it's not doing it straight. <laughs> Gorge, gorgeous shit. I'm in. <sighs> in. Incredible recommendation for Patrick and and the listeners. Um Patrick, I have one one quick anecdote for you before we wrap this up. Shortly after I moved to LA, I was very, very high on your movie, The Overnight. Um, it made me laugh very hard. I thought it was very inspired. Took me by surprise. I watched it several times. I went on my first date in Los Angeles with someone. We then went back to her apartment to watch a movie. No. And for whatever reason i decided the overnight was the pick i was like hey there's this there's this movie the overnight i really love it i think it's really funny it seems your vibe we we never uh spoke or hung out again after that i'm not (laughs) i don't there's no causal link there i just think that's funny that is my that is my closest association with your movie i mean i would apologize but i feel like you should have known better oh i should have known better um, i think we, we're learning that we all have a capacity to self-sabotage yeah. <laughs> Troy it Duffy is some style. kind of litmus litmus test uh, for sure so that's that's <laughs> yeah, that's very sweet of you <laughs> yeah things things work themselves out um patrick thanks again if if people hear this podcast and they want to find you online where where should they look i am on twitter at patrick underscore bryce you can find me there sometimes i express my opinions most of the time i just use it to promote my shit (laughs) but uh that's that's where i live on the internet bethy are you on on social media yeah i'm on twitter at bethy bsqu and on instagram at bethy squires thomas what about you 
I am I'm I'm on Twitter at uh, handsome underscore pal. And Bethy, back to you. You run some socials for our show. Where can people find those? Mm, it's a collaborative effort, but <laughs> Twitter, t- Twitter, we really do collaborate. That's true. Twitter is movie bar pod, and Instagram is movie bar underscore pod. Yeah, and our sign off tonight is just stream movies on Tubi. Ugh, Tubi is king shit. It- it's a beautiful service. The Noid is Tubi. back. Have you heard? The ads on Tubi will tell Tubi you. Tubi really does rock. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks, guys. Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins, with show art by Lindsay Farrell, and that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan.